Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to The Food Show. We're at 105.3 FM HD2 WWL. My name is Ron Rigamer. I'm Ron, the gourmet waiter, and I'm very delighted to be here with you. We are going to talk about a lot of things 4th of July, so before we begin, the first thing I want to do is wish you a happy 4th of July. With the 4th of July coming up, one of the things that I wanted to make sure that we covered in detail today was one of my favorite topics, and that would be barbecue. So I'd love to have you call in, tell us what you've been barbecuing, tell us where you like to go. I happen to be a decent barbecuer, so if you do have any questions about how to make one of your barbecue dishes or what to put on the grill better, please call in because I'd love to talk to you. Again, this is The Food Show. The number is 504-260-6368, and we'd love to have you call in. And again, happy 4th of July. While we start, I'd also like to thank our producer, I call him the magician behind the glass, Doug Christian. How are you doing, Doug? Doing quite well today, actually. Happy Fourth of July. Thank you very much. 
Typically, when we start off the show, we talk about what's going on in food today. And I think Doug's going to go ahead and tell us exactly what's happening in the food uh, scene today. We have a three, count them, three things to celebrate today. Today is National Chocolate Wafer Day. Today is National Eat Your Beans Day. And, of course, finally, today is National Fried Clam Day. I wish it was Fried Chicken Day. I love fried chicken. Well, we can make it fried chicken day. I mean, you know, there's no saying that we can't do that. <laughs> yeah, I think that's one of the things we're going to talk about today, actually, now that I think about it, is how to make better fried chicken, and we may as well start that off. I do like to make fried chicken at home. I make mine a little differently than you probably make yours, so I'll just go right into it. The first thing that I do is I go to the store, and I actually look for some good-looking chicken. I don't like that inexpensive chicken that is just all bone and very little meat. I like good-looking chicken. I like legs, thighs, and I also like to fry the chicken breasts. But one thing I do that I'm not sure if you have done, I like to brine my chicken overnight if I have the time. And what brining is, is it's simply one gallon of water with one cup of salt. I like to use sea salt, but if that's not available, regular salt will do. And basically, I'm going to take a bucket of some sort or some sort of large container that could hold a gallon of water, and I'm going to put about a quarter of warm water in there, about a quarter gallon. And then what I'm going to do is I'm going to put that salt in. I'm going to put that whole cup of salt in because the first thing that I want to do is I want to make sure that the water has evaporated or basically dissolved the salt. I don't want the salt to be on the bottom, and warm water does a better job of that. So once we've got that accomplished, let's go ahead and just fill up to the gallon level and now go ahead and give it a stir and we're ready to go. The salt has completely dissolved in the water. The next thing I'm going to do is I'm going to take the chicken and I'm going to put the chicken in and then I'm going to put a loose lid on it and I'm going to put it in the refrigerator overnight. What's going to happen is, is there is some sort of molecular or chemical breakdown but when you pull that chicken out of the water and rinse it off the next day, the chicken's going to be quite a bit softer. And that's what I'm looking for. The other thing, as you know, is salt does have that. Salt's got sodium chloride in it. And I just find that it cleans the chicken up a little bit. I just feel better about it knowing that I've brined my chicken. Anyway, at that point, I rinse the chicken off. And if I'm going to make fried chicken, I'm going to go ahead and season the chicken up. And if you really like seasoning, what I do is I pull that skin loose and I actually put some of that Whatever seasoning you're using, a lot of times I'll just use salt and pepper. Now I'm going to go ahead and put that salt and pepper in between the skin and the meat. That way it doesn't fall off while we're frying. It actually goes into the meat while we're frying. And then we're going to have a wet bag, and that, that's right, it's a wet bag. It's going to be a frozen zip, a freezer Ziploc bag. And the reason why that is because I don't like cleaning all these dirty bowls up later. And inside that bag basically is going to be some buttermilk and a couple of eggs. And then I'm going to mix that all up. The chicken's going to go in there, and I'm going to let it sit in there for a couple of minutes because I like to let that buttermilk and egg mixture really absorb into the chicken. And then after it's spent some time in there, it's going to go into the other bag. And what's in the other bag is going to be about 65% flour, 35% cornstarch. Now, I know that sounds funny, but the whole idea behind that cornstarch is cornstarch thickens things up, as you know. A lot of, a lot of Oriental restaurants use cornstarch to, to thicken up sauces and other things like that. So I'm going to go ahead and use that cornstarch to help develop a real paste on this chicken. So we've gone from the buttermilk and egg to the flour and the cornstarch, 
But I'm also flour. I'm also seasoning up that flour. It's not just going to be regular flour and cornstarch. These are some things I like to put in. And I like to put garlic powder, onion powder, fresh cracked black pepper if you can, a little bit of cayenne pepper because those two peppers hit you at different points. The cracked black pepper is what you taste right away. The cayenne pepper is that warmth that's left in your mouth after you've swallowed the food. And then the other thing I use, my secret ingredient is smoked paprika. Smoked paprika is going to help make the chicken have a slight orange tint to it, and it's got a nice little smoky flavor. And uh, anyway, that's my secret ingredient. So I go buttermilk and egg, then I go into the, the, the dredge, the dry, and then I'm going to go, I'm going to probably spend about two or three minutes in there. I'm going to go back into the buttermilk and egg, and then I'm going to go back into the dredge the second time. Now, when, when the chicken goes into that bag the second time, the one thing I'm going to do, I'm going to leave it in there for 10 minutes. And I'm going to cover it up and just leave it in there for 10 minutes because the, I find the longer you leave it in there, if you like a big, thick crust on your fried chicken, that's how I do it. So after about 10 minutes, I go fishing with my hand. I pull that chicken out, and I put that chicken in some 350-degree oil. The oil I like to use is normal Crisco oil, or if you prefer, I like peanut oil too because peanut oil has a higher boiling point. Anyway, we're going to go ahead and fry that chicken up, and when that chicken comes out, I'm looking for around 145, 150, by the way, if you have a thermometer and you want to make sure it gets right. And then when I'm coming out, I'm going to put that chicken on a platter, and I'm going to let it rest for a few minutes. Now, if you're the type of person that likes fried chicken with a big, thick, crispy crust, here's what you do to finish it off. You're going to take that platter, and you're going to put it in a 400-degree oven for about eight minutes. And what that's going to do is that's going to go ahead and just crisp up that huge, thick crust that you have on the exterior. And that's going to be a very, very thick, crispy crust, if that's how you like it. Anyway, that's how I do my fried chicken. I hope you uh, try that sometime if you like a big, thick crust on your chicken. If you have any questions or if you'd like to call in, the number is 504-260-6368. Fried chicken is one of my favorite things, uh, but let's start talking about the grill. Some of the grilling items that uh, I really like to put on the grill, especially for holidays like 4th of July, I like uh, hamburgers. And in a few minutes, we're going to talk about uh, how I like to do my burger. I also uh, know hot dogs are going to be very popular. How about you, Doug? Do you think hamburgers and hot dogs are going to be the most popular? Traditional. I think that's what they are. Mm -hmm. What What normally goes on your grill at home? (laughs) <laughs> it, it it always ends up uh, rather burnt, I'm afraid. So you do most of your cooking indoors? Uh, yeah. Okay. Got some other things that would go on the grill. Corn. I like asparagus with lemon. I also make homemade boudin, or I'll buy boudin from the store. In a few minutes, we're going to talk about how to make your own boudin at home, if you like boudin. I remember I called into the show a while back, and we had quite the conversation about boudin. It lasted over an hour. Other things I like to put on the grill are kielbasa, which is a Polish sausage. I also like chorizo, which is a Latin American sausage. I'll also do eggplant. And then sliced pineapple is always uh, one of my favorites for the grill, and it doesn't have to be on a shish kebab either. And then if you don't have pineapple, uh, one of the other things that I find uh, I like to put on the grill is sliced oranges, and I'll serve the sliced orange with a toothpick on top of uh, whatever I'm grilling. Anyway, these are some of the things that I like to put on, uh, on my grill. Call us up if you would. Let us know what you're grilling. If you have any questions, it's 504-260-6368. This is The Food Show.
The other thing we're going to talk about real quick now is how to make a better hamburger. This is how I grill my burger on the grill, and I've had some very good compliments about, uh, about it because it's got a little bit of a smoky flavor to it. Anyway, what I do is I start off with a little bit of ground beef, probably 70% ground beef, and then I'm going to use 30% ground pork. And one of the reasons why I like that mixture is the ground pork has a little more fat in it than the regular beef does. So it's going to make a, just a better, juicier burger. So in a bowl or, again, in one of those freezer bags, if you like me and you don't like spending a lot of time cleaning up later, get a freezer bag and go ahead and put some of that uh, ground beef in there and then add a little bit of ground pork to it. Now, a couple of other things we'll put in. I'm going to put in some green onions because I love some green onion in my burger. And then you're going to put your favorite seasonings in. Uh, I like uh, typical things like salt, pepper. I like paprika. Uh, I like to take a burger Italian. I'll put some thyme, some marjoram, maybe some sage, maybe some oregano. These are items that I find uh, make a very, very delicious burger. Anyway, once you've got that all seasoned up, you've got your ground beef, your ground pork, and you've got your seasonings. I'm going to probably add a little bit of liquid to that. I might add just a little bit of beer to it, maybe some water. I might even add some red wine to it. I find that uh, pepper, red wine, and ground beef go very well together. If you think about a steak, typically you're going to drink red wine with your steak, and you're probably going to have some cracked black pepper on your steak. So it's that same philosophy. We're going down that same road. So now I'm going to take the patties out, and I'm going to go ahead and form my patties. But to help keep them in shape and to help add some flavor to it, I'm going to crisscross bacon. In other words, I'm going to put one strip of bacon north-south, and I'm going to take the other strip of bacon, and I'm going to put it east-west. I think you get the idea. It's like an X pattern. And the whole idea behind that is what we're going to do is we're going to sear these burgers off, and then we're going to push them over to the cool side of our grill so that the whole idea is after they go on the cool side, I'm going to put some chips down, and then I'm going to lower the grill. So get your fire going, and if you have a propane grill, Heat one side of the grill, but don't turn the burner on on the other side. And if you're doing a charcoal fire, put the charcoal on one side and then build yourself a nice fire because what we're going to do is we're going to take these bacon-wrapped burgers and we're going to sear them off. And what I mean by that is we're going to put them up right above the charcoal and the fire's actually going to probably be coming up on the charcoal and it's going to start to burn them, but it's okay because we're right here watching. We're going to let that go for probably 45 seconds and then we're going to turn them over and we're going to sear them on the other side. What we're doing is we're locking in the juices. We're also kind of cooking that bacon up and that bacon's going to start dropping that pork fat down. So once we've seared them off on both sides, we're going to push those burgers over to the cool side. And then what I like to do is I like to take some smoking wood and to drop that smoking wood down right on top of those coals. Or if you're using a propane barbecue pit, I'll take some chips or some chips or some chunks, and I'll actually put those right on top of my burner. If they're the little chips, I'm going to wrap them up in tinfoil and poke some holes in it. I know you know what to do. Anyway, we're going to put those right on top of that burner, and then we're going to lower the lid. And what's going to happen is, is we're kind of ovening off or finishing off these burgers. Probably going to take about 10 or 15 minutes. We've seared them off. We're just filling them up with heat and smoke. And then in about probably 10, 12 minutes, I'm going to come back. I'm going to open up the lid, and I'm going to put anything else I want to put on there. I might put some... Uh, probably some uh, onion, and then uh, maybe some barbecue sauce, and then my cheese is going to go on top. I like to put the cheese on top at the last second, though, because if you put anything else on that burger, as that cheese melts, it kind of wraps everything into place. And the whole, the whole idea behind that is if you've ever had a burger where you're eating it and everything starts falling off all over the place, 
you'll remember what I told you to do. Because I've had, I've had that happen to me plenty of times. How about you, Doug? Uh, plenty of times, as a matter of fact. <laughs> no, I, you know, here, I, I just thought occurred to me. Now, this, is, this may be just strange. It may be just strange. But what if you incorporated ground bacon into the ground meat itself instead of putting the bacon around it? That would probably be delicious. You might want to do both. One of the reasons why I like to surround the burger with that cross pattern with bacon is it actually holds the burger together. Because if you've ever been in a party or if you've ever been grilling yourself and you're flipping burgers and all of a sudden your burgers start falling apart, you know what they say, we eat with our eyes first, don't we? Yeah, could you? Is that the reason why people put a little bit of egg in uh, in in the with the uh, ground meat also to just to hold them together? Yeah, some people put eggs, some people put breadcrumbs, some people might put mustard. It, it's kind of dealer's choice, but the whole idea is is you want. To me, I like the breadcrumb, and the reason why I like the breadcrumb is because that ground beef and that ground pork that I've used has a decent amount of pork fat in it and beef fat, and everybody knows that's where the flavor is. So with the breadcrumb mixed in with the ground beef and the ground pork, that breadcrumb kind of holds those liquids in place, and they don't drop out as much. So it's not going to fire up as much. And then the other thing that I like is I like the additional flavor that you get by having the, uh, by having the, the juices uh, withholding or staying inside of the burger. Anyway, we'll talk more about burgers and other items in a few moments. This is 105.3 FM HD2. WWL The Food Show.
Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome back to The Food Show, and happy 4th of July. I'm Ron, the gourmet waiter. This is 105.3 FM HD2 WWL. We were talking barbecue, and we're talking several other things also. We're going to be talking about woks. Also, the Instant Pot. If you have an Instant Pot, you want to talk to us about your experiences with that. We'd love to hear from you. The number here to call in is 504-260-6368, or as Tom and Marianne say, 504-260-MENU. Anyway, we were talking barbecue, and we know that uh, there's going to be a lot of grilling going on tomorrow, so that's what I wanted to kind of make the feature component of the show. A few moments ago, we were talking about how to make a burger and there's been a lot of buzz about boudin lately. So what I wanted to do is to kind of give you a little recipe that I have for homemade boudin if you're the adventurous type and you'd like to make it at home. Doug, have you ever known anybody or have you ever made any boudin at home? Uh, no, I usually just go to the store and say, okay, that looks good right there. Nice and easy, right? Exactly. Okay. Well, for those of you all that are a little bit adventurous, we're going to go ahead and talk about how I make my homemade boudin. It's a lot easier than it sounds. Okay, so I'm probably going to Dornyaks, and the reason why I'm going to Dornyaks on Veterans is because Dornyaks has the casings to do this. I think the last time that I went to Dornyaks, I want to say I spent probably 4 or $5 on the casings, but I got about 9 feet of them. So if you just imagine 9 feet of sausage, you can see how my 4 or $5 went a very long way. Also, the casings can be frozen, so if you find not yourself not making nine feet of sausage or boudin at one time. I just throw those right in the little tub. I put them right back in the freezer, and then I let them sit out on the counter for a little while and uh, defrost next time I'm, I'm using them. Now, the, probably the hardest thing about this is to go ahead and just get your rice cooked ahead of time. I don't like to use rice that just came out of the pot. It's kind of like the uh, oriental dishes. They like to use yesterday's rice or rice that was cooked several hours ago because it's not going to be as sticky. And if you can imagine yourself sitting here at the table having these, having this casing and then trying to stuff the rice with the pork, the onion, and the Cajun seasoning in there, you can imagine how, mu how much of a mess it would be if this stuff sticks to your hands. Anyway, I cook some rice, and uh, I'll put it in the refrigerator, and again, I'd prefer to use yesterday's rice. Now, we're, I'm going to get some ground pork, and I find the easiest way to do this, at least the first time, is just to buy some ground pork from the store that's already been ground. That's nice and easy, and if you know your meat prices, you know that ground pork is actually considerably less expensive than ground beef. The other thing I'm going to put in here is I'm going to put some onion. I prefer green onion, and I like it cut up in super-duper small pieces. The next ingredient is going to be liver. That's terribly easy to buy because they have that right in the meat compartment at the store. I'm using chicken livers. I don't remember what I paid for them, but I, I got a little tub of them, and uh, it wasn't much at all. It was probably 2 or $3, and th that, that goes a long way because that's not a major component. Anyway... This, the last ingredient basically is going to be some Cajun seasoning and then a little bit of pepper if you like your boudin hot. Okay, so I get the casings, and when, when, I'm, when I'm stretching the casings out and I'm at the countertop or at the table, you're going to go ahead and cut the casing, and on one end of the casing you're going to tie a little knot, and then on the other end, don't cut it straight across. You want to cut it on a bias. And the reason why is because if you've got a funnel, which I highly recommend, it's a lot easier to put that funnel inside the casing if you've cut it on an angle. And if you don't happen to have a funnel, like me last time I did this, and you, you're stuffing it by hand, 
it certainly is a lot easier because if you cut it at an angle, that makes the hole a lot bigger. And uh, it'll make the job go a lot better. Anyway, it's uh, homemade rice, ground pork, chicken liver, which I cut up into tiny little pieces, as small as you can get. And I'm going to cook that liver down a little bit, too. I'm not cooking the rice. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm not cooking the pork. But I am going to cook that chicken liver down because I find it makes it a little easier to cut. And I'm going to cut that chicken liver into the tiniest little pieces that I can, and I'm going to add that to the ground pork. I have my little green onion cut up into tiny little pieces and then Cajun seasoning. And what I'm doing is I'm going to mix this all in a bowl, but put the meat in first. Put the ground pork, the liver, and then add the onion and the Cajun seasoning because the last thing you want to do with boudin is to realize that what you've done is you've actually put too much rice in, and now you don't have enough meat. I don't like a boudin that, 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 that's all rice. Doug, have you ever, have you ever had boudin that uh, just seemed like it was more rice than anything else? Uh, yes, that has happened, but uh, not very often. Uh, usually when that happens, uh, that stuff will be in the case forever. Absolutely. So anyway, what I do is I, I, uh, I go ahead and make the meat mixture inside the bowl, and then I'm going to carefully add the rice in and mix. That way I know that I've made the right uh, ratio of rice to meat because I don't like boudin that has too much rice in it. Anyway, so what we're going to do is we're just going to take that and we're going to put a funnel inside that casing and then we're going to go ahead and stuff it. And if you don't have a funnel, it's going to take a little longer, but you might, you might, you might want to try just doing it by hand or if you happen to have a little piece of PVC pipe, anything that can fit inside of the casing, it makes it a whole lot easier. And then what we're going to do is we're going to tie that other end and now you've got a piece of raw boudin. Now what I like to do with that boudin is I like to smoke the boudin because I find that the boudin has a much tastier flavor to it and I love smoked items anyway so we want to go ahead and just put that on your smoker on low and boudin's not going to take too long to smoke up I'd say it's going to take about 25 maybe 35 minutes if you're at about 225 maybe 250 if you're at 180 maybe down 200 degrees that's probably going to take about an hour anyway I do love uh, homemade boudin and that's how I do it I hope you like it if you have any questions about anything or you want to tell us what you're growing tomorrow, please call into the show. This is The Food Show. It's 105.3 FM HD 2 WWL. The number to call in is 504-260-6368. We'd love to hear from you and find out what you're doing tomorrow, what you're putting on, our, on your grill. A couple items that I talked about earlier. I love hamburgers. I also love hot dogs, but that doesn't mean that the hot dog has to be your standard hot dog. A couple of items that I love to use in, in place of hot dogs are things like kielbasa, which is a Polish sausage. If you've ever been to Dat Dog, you know what I'm talking about. It doesn't have to be a uh, doesn't have to be a regular hot dog. Doug, have you ever been to uh, to Dat Dog? No, but I lived in Chicago for a while, and uh, so uh, it uh, Polish sausages and things like that were uh, a common occurrence there when I was living there. Uh, you get a Polish sausage um, in a bun and uh, run it through the uh, run it through the garbage, you know, put everything on it. Yeah, where do you normally get something like that in Chicago? Is that uh, found in on every street corner at, at at every mom and pop store? That was just common. Because we have uh, we do have food trucks here. It's the 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 regulations have been expanded a little bit, and a lot of people don't realize that. Anyway, you could go to the City of New Orleans website if you'd like to read a bit more about food trucks. But I don't think we have enough food trucks. Well, you, you know, you, it, it was sort of like uh, poor boys are here. Is You give me a Polish with whatever, you know, 
that's that's what you'd order. Sure. Anyone ever tell you how Pool Boys got started, Doug? Oh yeah. Okay. For those of you out there that would like to know, it's a very simple story. In uh, Raceland, Louisiana, there were these two brothers, and they, they were the Martin brothers. That was their last name. Anyway, the Martin brothers came to New Orleans, and they both wanted to be streetcar conductors. So they went ahead and got jobs as streetcar conductors, saved up some money, and opened up a sandwich shop. And now that they were no longer streetcar conductors, their former co-workers went on strike for higher wages and weren't working at all. So when the Martin brothers in their po'boy shop, or sandwich shop at that time, saw their former co-workers, they would say, come here, you poor boy. Let me give you a free sandwich. And poor boy actually became po'boy. Doug, do you remember what the first po'boy was? Uh, no, I, I don't remember. Okay. The first po'boy actually didn't have any meat on it. It was French bread, mayonnaise, lettuce, tomato, pickle, but it was French fries with brown gravy. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. The whole idea behind that was was to make the sandwich affordable so that the Martin brothers could go ahead and give the sandwich away. Anyway, if you like po' boys and you'd like to learn how to make a better one, or you have had a po' boy lately, call us up. Let us know what you've been eating. The number is 504-260-6368. So we're going to talk a little more about barbecue. And uh, I want to talk about barbecue uh, sauces because those are uh, very interesting and they can really change the complexion of your barbecue. And the next uh, next sauce, it's not really a recipe, but it's just an idea that I've had and I've done it before and it really came out well. It's a blackberry barbecue sauce that you might find yourself putting on putting on ribs. Now this one's easier than it than uh, it seems. What you'll do is you'll take some blackberries and you'll either just completely crush them in a bowl or you might put them in a blender. The whole idea is you're just going to put a little bit of liquid in there, probably a little bit of water, and you're just going to really just pulverize these blackberries until they're tiny little pieces. You might put them in a blender and just blend them for a moment with just a tiny bit of liquid. And then now you've got the blackberries in position. You're going to put that in a bowl, and what I would add to that is I would start adding a little bit of honey. And you're going to make a blackberry honey sauce, which is something that you could put all over ribs or chicken or, or really anything else that you're putting on your grill. The other item that I might put in there is I'd probably put just a little bit of cracked black pepper. I think that would really even that out. It's blackberries, honey, cracked black pepper. You choose the proportions just based on how sweet you want it or maybe how hot you want it with the pepper. Another sauce that uh, I was talking to someone about that's terribly easy to make if you're looking for new sauce recipes it's honey, bourbon, and cracked black pepper. Again, that's honey, which would be the main ingredient, and then bourbon, and then just a touch of cracked black pepper. And what that's going to come out with is a uh, kind of a bourbon hot sauce with a little bit of a, a little sweet and tangy going on there. And uh, anyway, that's a delicious sauce. Call us up if you would. We'd love to talk to you, 504-260-6368. This is The Food Show. We're at 105.3 FM HD2, WWL.
good afternoon, and welcome back to The Food Show. This is Ron, the gourmet waiter. You're at 105.3 FM HD2 WWL. We'd love to talk to you. What are you grilling tomorrow? Where have you been eating? What would you like to make better on the grill? I could probably help with that. If I can't, I know Doug, the magician behind the glass, could too. Anyway, the number here is 504-260-6368. This is the 4th of July show, and we're talking barbecue for the most part. Now, one thing that I don't particularly care for, but a lot of people do, is uh, veggies on the grill. Okay, why is that? Uh, I have no idea. I, I just don't care for them, okay? But a lot of people like their veggies with a little bit of caramelization here. Now, what do you do? Do you like corn, Doug? Uh, I don't particularly care for corn uh, that has been on the barbecue grill at all. Okay. All right. You know, I, hey... I didn't grow up with it, and uh, so I'm not going to die with it. Uh, let's put it that way. Sure. One of the ways that I like to do corn on the grill is I like to do it on the. Uh, I, li- I like to do the whole thing on the cob, you know, with the husk on it. And what I'll do is uh, I'll take that uh, corn. And I'm just going to submerge it in water for about 30 minutes. And the whole idea behind that is some of that water gets in there in between the husk and the corn. And when we put the corn on the grill, it's going to steam up. And what that's going to do is that's going to make that corn literally just steam in its own juices. How would that sound, Doug? Well, that would be much better, to tell you the truth. It uh, sounds like, uh, well, let's put it this way. I usually take the corn, put it in the water, heat it up, and eat it. Sweet corn, as I like it that way. Okay. So another way that we could make this even better is we put the corn in the, uh, in the water for about 30 minutes, and we're going to take it out. We're not going to peel the husk back at this point. We're just going to put it right on the grill. We're going to roll it around for a little while, and we're going to watch that outer coating of that uh, husk start to get dark. And what that tells us is that the corn on the inside has been cooking because corn doesn't take too long to cook. Now, if you want to make it even better, and Doug, let me know if this sounds better. Once that corn is cooked, what we're going to do is we're going to go ahead and peel that husk back, and we're going to take some lemon butter and put that all over the corn with some cracked black pepper, and then we'll put that husk back up, and we're going to throw it back on the grill a little bit. How would that work? That might, might do. That might do. You could also do some roasted garlic butter. That would be even better. Roasted garlic butter with white wine and cracked black pepper? I could do that. <laughs> anyway, the whole idea is uh, just to go ahead and take something very simple and make a, a nice component of the meal. And, and I love that corn idea. It's just it's very easy. While the corn's on the... Uh, on the grill, you could be in the kitchen just roasting off some garlic and a little bit of butter, maybe add a touch of white wine, maybe beer, a little bit of cracked black pepper, whatever seasonings that you like. And all we really want to do is we just want to, we want to brown off that garlic just a little bit and melt that butter at the same time. And then once that's ready, pull the husk back, go ahead and brush that on, and then uh, maybe put the husk back together and uh, put it back on the grill for a couple minutes to heat all that, uh, all that up. We talked about homemade boudin. Now, uh, something that's very similar to that would be homemade Italian sausage as well. The primary difference is is we're not going to use any liver in our sausage, and we're going to use Italian seasonings instead. So you would just get your casing from Dornacks. You'd tie one end up. You'd cut the other end open. That's where we're going to stuff it. And what you're going to do is you're going to take that same ground pork. I'm going to add some onion to it. We're not going to add any rice. And then I'm going to add some Italian seasonings to it. I'm probably going to use some fresh rosemary, maybe some thyme, 
some basil, perhaps some sage, maybe some marjoram. And I'm going to put a little bit of uh, red pepper flake in there. And if you don't have that, just use regular cayenne and then maybe a little bit of uh, cracked black pepper. I'm not trying to make it too hot, but like I said earlier, those peppers uh, get you at different times. Cracked black pepper jumps on your palate right away. It's the first thing you notice. Cayenne tends to be that, uh, that little bit of heat, that residual heat that's left over once you finish swallowing and you're just sitting there uh, kind of evaluating what, uh, what you ate. So whether it's boudin or Italian sausage, it's terribly easy. Again, Dornex has your casings. You might want to call them ahead of time, but uh, every time I've gone, they've had, uh, they've had plenty of them. So we talk about barbecue, and uh, we're going to talk a little bit about the different types of uh, barbecue woods that are used and why you would use uh, different woods. This one, this one's actually really, really simple. When you go to the store, you're probably going to notice that they have at least one sweet wood. And what I mean by that is it's probably a fruit wood. Chances are they're going to have apple. They might have cherry. And if you're super lucky, they're going to have either peach or grape. Now, obviously, being all fruits, these woods are going to be a lighter, sweeter smoke. When I mention things like oak, pecan, hickory, and mesquite, which is actually a bush that you find uh, all over Texas, you, you, you sort of think more of a harsher, deeper smoke, something you might use in like a brisket or perhaps on some ribs. But uh, the whole point is cherry, peach, apple, and grape, I find are lighter and sweeter. So those are going to go really well with your white meats, uh, particularly things like ribs, chicken, and uh, maybe you're smoking some salmon at some point. I find that uh, they just, it's just a lighter, sweeter smoke, and I find that it complements the white meats, whereas your oak, your pecan, your hickory, and your mesquite, to me, these are stronger, bolder flavors, and that's what I'm looking for when I have maybe a, uh, a Boston butt or a, uh, a brisket. I just want, uh, it's almost like you're just, you're spending hours and hours smoking, and you just kind of want to pound that, that, that smoke into that brisket somehow. You're looking for these, for these smoke rings, if you've ever been the one who cut up a brisket after it's been on the, the barbecue pit for six or eight hours. You're, you're looking to see the, the coloration, the difference in color from the outside to the inside, and that can usually uh, tell you how much smoke it's gotten. We call that a smoke ring. Anyway, that's what I use the uh, that's what I use the the deeper, darker woods and the the cherry, the pecan, and the peach. Those types of things. Uh, I'll use that for fish, maybe some chicken, just just lighter things. One of the earliest methods that uh, smoking uh, I've uh, seen was 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 the Indians using a teepee, and I can just um, I can remember as a kid looking through a book, uh, learning how they. Uh, they would set these teepees up, and the, the whole the whole teepee would be full of uh, full of different things, whatever they had trapped or caught. And um, the teepee is actually constructed over a hole in the ground, and that hole in the ground is is kind of there's a there's a channel outside of the teepee, and what happens is is the smoke comes in underground, and then releases inside the teepee, so that you can adjust the fire outside of the teepee without having to open up the doors and let all the heat and all the smoke out. 
So that's one of the uh, it's one of the oldest ways of uh, of smoking things. These days, though, you're more likely to uh, to be outside looking at a, a propane pit, and you're going to wonder, okay, how am I going to go ahead and smoke a brisket or a rib or uh, ribs or, or whole chickens and anything like that? I've got a couple of ideas that uh, that might help. One of them is uh, if you've got a propane pit that has three burners on it, and uh, they're one, two, three from left to right, what you might want to do is you might want to turn that burner on the left on low. And you're going to take the middle burner and keep that off, and then you're going to take the right burner and you're going to keep that off. And then what we'll do is we'll take some smoking woods, and if it's a big piece of wood, maybe it's the chunks, you might just want to put those right on top of the burner right by the fire. And then when you put your meat on the cool side to the right, after you've seasoned it all up, lower your grill lid, and then just wait a couple of moments and then see what the temperature's like. You probably want to be somewhere around 200 unless you're in a hurry. And if you, if you really need to get the job done, you might want to raise the heat up a little bit. But ideally, the best smoking temperatures that I've found, unless you're cold smoking, uh, would be anywhere from, a, I'd say, about 190 up to about 225, 230. So if you can achieve that type of temperature using your, um, your gas grill, I think you'll love it because you're not going to run out of gas until, or you're not going to run out of heat until uh, you've exhausted all the resources. If you've got a, a tank, one of these small propane tanks, I find that I get between 90 and 100 hours worth of smoking out of those on, on low. And uh, that's a long time. And if, you're, if you happen to be lucky enough to where you're connected to the house, such as my younger brother, he has, I believe it's a natural, ga a natural gas line that's just connected straight to the house. You can put uh, smoking meats and things on and put your, uh, your wood on the left-hand side. You might want to wrap it up in foil if you're using the chips. And then just put that right on that low fire and then lower your lid. And you could go away for hours and hours. At some point, the smoke is going to subside because the, the wood's going to turn black. But you're not going to lose your heat. You could go to sleep for 8 or 10 hours and work on a brisket that way, even though ideally you'd, you'd rather turn it a few times and, and get it just right. But there are certainly ways to take a regular barbecue pit and turn, uh, turn it into a smoker, even if it's a, uh, a propane pit. If you have any questions about... Uh, grilling or you want to tell us what you're grilling for the 4th of July or where you're going, please call us up. It's 105.3 FM HD 2 WWL. The number for you to call is 504-260-6368 or 260-MENU. Now, after, uh, after you grill, I know you're probably going to be looking for some desserts, and I've got a homemade recipe that I want to give you that's something that my mother came up with, and it's really tasty. It's really easy to do. And you only need a couple of ingredients. One of them you probably have around the house, that's sugar. The other two ingredients are going to be buttermilk and fruit. So anyway, I call this recipe Mother's Sherbet. And the reason why I call it Mother's Sherbet is because it's sherbet. My mother gave me the recipe. So here we go. You're going to take two cups of whatever fruit that you like. It might be bananas. Maybe it's going to be blackberries, raspberries, strawberries, whatever you like. Take that fruit and put that fruit in a bowl and go ahead and smash it up into small pieces. You might want to put it in a blender. And then we're going to take two cups of buttermilk and we're going to put that into the bowl as well. Again, you might want to use a blender to beat it up. If you don't have a blender, just stir this all together as best you can. 
And then two cups of fruit, two cups of buttermilk, one cup of sugar. Put the sugar in last, give it a good stir, and then take that container, put a loose lid on it, and put it in the fridge, actually the freezer. And uh, when it's frozen, it's done. How does that sound, Doug? Delicious. What fruit would you use if you were making this dessert? Cherries. You'd make cherry sherbet? Why not? Where would you get your cherries? Wherever there's <laughs> cherries. If I could find them, I'll, I'll do that. How about maraschino cherries? Have you ever and, used those? Oh, yeah. Those are, you know, I could sit down and eat a whole thing of those very easily. For my birthday a couple of years ago, my brother gave me a, uh, a bottle of Knob Creek bourbon. And the other thing he gave me with it was a large, large jar of maraschino cherries. I had a lot of fun with that. It's a very, very tasty beverage if you happen to, if you happen to like bourbon. Well, anyway, I just like maraschino cherries. I mean, you know, I could, I could sit down with the maraschino cherries and make a meal out of that. That's it. They were darker, and I found that they were, uh, they were kind of sweet. That's yeah, the first time yeah. I'd had them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, okay. isn't, isn't that the object of maraschino cherries, <laughs> that they're sweet? Well, I, th- that was kind of new to me. I'm not a cherry guy. Ah. I, no- I noticed that they were darker and also sweeter. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. I, I, you know, I, I love those things. And, uh, that, you know, like I said, I could make a whole meal out of those. So we'd have a bowl of cherries over here and a whole bunch of bacon over here, and I'd be fine. Okay, that sounds good. Call us up and tell us what you've been cooking. Tell us where you've been eating. And tell us what you're going to put on the grill tomorrow. And if you have any questions about how to maybe make that better on the grill, we'd be, love, we'd be glad to try to help you. The number is 504-260-6368. This is our pre-4th of July barbecue special. We're talking barbecue. We're also going to go in a little different barbecue, kind of like an international style. Have you ever seen uh, La Caja China, Doug? Have you ever seen the China box that uh, started out in Cuba? Uh, no, no, I'm, I'm not. I don't have a picture in my mind of what that is. Okay, what this is is this is a large box. It's is made this sort of is this sort of like the uh, the Cajun um, microwave? Microwave, yeah. That's exactly what this is. But oh, this this, okay. this this is the original because this started off in Cuba, and the whole idea is is you're going to have a wooden box with metal walls on the inside, and you're going to dress up a whole hog. And you're going to put that whole hog inside the box. And then you're going to put the lid on top and build the fire on top of the box. And that fire magically works that heat into the box and roasts off your pig. How's that sound? Yeah, I've, I've seen that now. That, that is delicious. And, uh, yeah, the whole pig, I've always liked that whole thing. Couche on delay, you know. You'll find that a lot of barbecue restaurants are now starting to do whole hog. If you've ever been out to hogs for the cause, you'll understand why. It's delicious. The whole idea with the whole hog concept is, number one, it's easier just to cook the whole hog than it is to have to deal with the smaller pieces. But the skin on a pig or a hog is kind of like insulation. It's very hard to get through. If you have a brisket or you have a, a large piece of pork, I don't recommend putting any seasoning on top of that fat skin if you didn't cut it off because it's not getting through. If you're going to put seasoning on there just for color to make your barbecue look good, that's one thing. But I definitely don't recommend seasoning it because nothing's getting through. 
Anyway, the point is, is once that hog is inside the box and it's still got all that skin on, it's kind of like baking a whole chicken. The, the, the skin acts like insulation and it just retains all the juices. And I find that it, uh, it turns out to be a much better barbecue. I find the pork, once you've pulled it all apart and reseasoned it, is uh, a lot juicier than uh, it would be. And part of that with La Caja China, which is this big box, or with your Cajun microwave, is that you're not opening up the box until it's done. And the way to make sure that you've done that right is to take a digital thermometer. And I would put that digital thermometer either in one of the hams in the back, or I would put it in that front shoulder, which, believe it or not, is actually called Boston butt. A lot of people think the butt's in the back, but the Boston butt on a pig is the front shoulder. And I would make sure that that probe doesn't hit bone. And um, I'm pulling everything off, I'd say probably about 180. So with this La Caja China, this big China box, which originated from Cuba, or on your La Caja China, I'm sorry, uh, or your Cajun microwave, you do want to make sure that uh, you've got a, a thermometer because you don't want to have to open that up. You're going to let all that heat out. You're also going to let all that moisture that's developed because when you don't pull the top off, the moisture content inside that box starts to get high, and you don't want to let all that uh, you don't want to let all that go away. One of my favorite restaurants that I learned a little bit about barbecue from was uh, was the Salt Lick in Austin, Texas. Have you ever heard of that, Doug? Uh, the name has been bandied around, but I have never been there. They're the one that has that big out, that big round outdoor pit where they finish off all the meat. Does that ring a bell? No, but it reminds me of when I first ate barbecued ribs in uh, Fairbanks, Alaska, and it was in a in a house that looked like a shack, but right in the middle was a pit like you like uh, you just described. It was just right there on the ground, N- nothing nothing there but dirt underneath it and the wood and uh, and a few things around it but the most delicious meat I have ever had in my entire life was that particular place do you remember the meat that you ate what, what, ribs ribs pork ribs I didn't care <laughs> it sounds like everything was good yes it was delicious okay one of the things that we're going to do in a little bit is we're going to talk about how to make your pork ribs better because there are a couple of ways to do it. If you happen to like fall off the bone or if you like to, your pork ribs to have a little bit, to be a little stiffer, although they're completely cooked, there are a couple of ways to do it. And we're going to talk in a few minutes about how to make, uh, how to make both of those better. And then we're also going to talk a little bit about some sauces. If you'd like to call in, we've got plenty of time to talk to you. You could talk about anything food. You could tell us where you've been. You might ask us for a restaurant recommendation if you're trying to figure out where to go, if you're trying to make a dish better, or if you have any, uh, any ideas, just anything food. You want to know what to put on the pit tomorrow? Give us a call. It's 504-260-6368. Salt Lick is a, uh, a restaurant. I believe it's in Austin. It might be in San Antonio, and they've got a a very uh, unique way of presenting the food. And we're going to talk about that and uh, quite a few other things in the next hour. This is uh, The Food Show. This is 105.3 FM HD2 WWL.
This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.